This week, the Comics Guys explain The Black Widow, Part 2. Hello and welcome back, everyone. Last we left off, we talked about uh, Black Widow's uh, both of them. This time, we're going to go over a lot of the side characters that we've uh, seen in trailers or have been uh, leaked through casting announcements and whatnot for the upcoming Black Widow movie. Um, so we're going to start with uh, probably the most uh, visually striking um, in a lot of the trailers which is David Harbour in that big red and white suit. So who is that, Darren? Well, it's one of seven people in the comics who have uh, worn that costume and had that name. We're not 100% certain exactly uh, which one of them he's going to, you know, like wind up being the most like. But there have been seven Red Guardians that we know of uh, just in the mainstream Marvel comics. That's not counting the extras that might be in the Ultimates or that sort of thing, you know, the other versions of the character. Seven different people in the MCU that we know of who have had that name and that costume. So the Red Guardian, obviously, uh, from appearances, is like the Russian equivalent, the Soviet Russian equivalent of Captain America. Right, like like Captain America, he doesn't have any kind of like flashy superpowers. In fact, he doesn't even have a you know super soldier serum. He's just a highly trained guy with a bunch of weapons and gadgets and stuff, uh, who wears you know uh, the the bright red costume with the uh, you know with the with the star and uh, frequently a hammer and sickle on it, depending on which design you see. The first one of those guys that we ever meet uh, is uh, Alexei Alexei Shostakov. And uh, Alexei is, uh, he is the character that we meet in the uh, Black Widow story that we told you about uh, last episode, uh, the story in which she goes to China on her first mission for S.H.I.E.L.D. And uh, so she goes to China pretending to still be a brainwashed KGB agent to find out uh, what is in fact going on with this mysterious device that the Chinese scientists have developed called the Psychotron. And a Psychotron is like a mind control gadget with like a global span, right? Like in theory, they could control people's mind all over the world with this if they can get it working right. Um, and so being, you know, good communists and allies to the Russians, to the Soviets, uh, the Chinese have told the Soviets about it, and so the Soviets have sent their superhero, uh, Red Guardian, uh, to go kind of like assist with this setup and, you know, like get this mind control device up and running. So Nat shows up uh, as Black Widow um, and is completely startled to discover that Red Guardian is there. Not that she hasn't heard of Red Guardian, she knows, you know, like the idea, but she learns very quickly that Red Guardian is in fact her husband, who she thought was dead. Uh, but is in fact revealed to be alive. And we learn his backstory and discover that when he was recruited into being Red Guardian in the first place, they were both, you know, KGB agents, a young married couple. And when he got recruited into being uh, Red Guardian, they faked his death. Uh, and the faking his death worked so well that even Natasha didn't know that he wasn't dead. Uh, so when they get into a confrontation, he reveals that he is, in fact, her ex-husband. She is startled by this, and then he knocks her out. Uh, so it's like, well, you know, this may have emotionally affected her, but apparently you didn't have a problem punching out your wife. That's, you know, kind of weird, but okay. Hawkeye, of course, uh, has discovered that uh, Natasha has been sent off on this secret dangerous mission and says, well, screw this noise. Uh, you know, I'm going to leave the Avengers behind. 
and go rescue her myself. But Hercules is hanging out at the mansion at this time. And so Hercules comes along with him because, you know, hey, this sounds like a fun adventure and you shouldn't be off by yourself. Uh, and so I'll, I'll just join with you. So Hercules and Hawkeye basically invade China. Uh, in search of to, to to get Natasha back, uh, this does not go great. Uh, but uh, you know they they uh, kind of you know cause a lot of chaos over there, um, and the rest of the Avengers find out what happened. Uh, at this point, the rest of the Avengers is Captain America, uh, Quicksilver, Scarlet Witch, uh, Giant uh, uh, Goliath, uh, and the Wasp. Right, so they go, you know, now sailing off to go, you know, kind of like get involved in this fight as well. Um, so while the Russians, uh, the the psychotron gets used on a bunch of people, a bunch of Avengers are temporarily turned into bad guys with a mind control device, and they're fighting each other. And the Russian agents and Chinese agents and all sorts of chaos is going on. Captain America gets into a straight up one on one fight with the Red Guardian, um, and they're pretty evenly matched. Right, Cap is you know they, they they kind of like spend a lot of time in the fight talking about how good the other one is, right? You know, and that's that's that seems to be a match, and Captain America basically loses the fight in a cheat, right? Like uh, Red Guardian tricks him into going into a room that has an electrified uh, plate, an electrified grid on the ground, and when Captain America steps on it, one of the Russian scientists or one of the Chinese scientists pulls a lever, and Captain America gets electrocuted. Right, so you know, Red Guardian's like, man, I, I'm not sure I could have actually beaten that guy without this cheat. I feel kind of bad about cheating. Um, and then, while more chaos is going on, a bunch of the Chinese uh, agents and scientists come up with like a you know laser gun basically and are pointing at Captain America like they're going to kill him because while he's unconscious. And Red Guardian is like, well, that would be dishonorable. Yeah, I'm not going to let you do that. And in fact, he starts beating up his own guys because Captain America fought so well that he can't be allowed to die in this you know, dishonorable way. Someday, you know, they're going to get into a fight uh, and it'll be a fair fight and we'll see which of us is in fact actually better, but I'm not going to let you die this way. So he saves Captain America. Meanwhile, Hercules and the rest of the uh, Avengers have, you know, managed to escape. They freed uh, Black Widow and they're basically bringing the entire base down and destroying it. And so there is like the base basically has a big explosion at the end of a movie kind of like sequence um, from which the Avengers escape. And apparently, Alexei does not, right? Like, Red Guardian is still inside the base when it blows up. And he's, as far as we know, dead. And uh, Natasha is very sad. And, you know, that's it. The Avengers go sailing off to have more adventures. Um, we don't see Alexei again for many years. He is, you know, if, if there's a way to, like, be confirmed that somebody's dead, uh, he... One of the ways is to show up in one of the versions of the Legion of the Dead that somebody like Mephisto or whatever puts together. Uh, the Legion of the Dead is kind of like a recurring set of bad guys who are confirmed to be dead and whose like spirits are being brought from hell or whatever to fight the heroes. And Alexei shows up, shows up in several of these. Um, Right, like he's in various versions. Like he fights the West Coast Avengers as a member of the Legion of the Dead and a couple of other places. So it's like we believe he's actually for real dead, right? Like it's you know apparently Mephisto thinks he's dead because Mephisto put him on the you know the Legion of Dead or whatever. Um, but then in the Hawkeye Mockingbird limited series, uh, we meet a version of him, and or we meet him. We we think it's him, right? Black Widow appears in this story as well, 
and the Russians are trying to manipulate Black Widow because they're saying, oh yeah, Alexei survived, but he was terribly injured. And we rescued him from the explosion or whatever. And now he's in like a, you know, he's being nursed back to life. But if you don't do this mission for us, we're just going to kill him, right? We'll shoot him. He's, there's nothing he can do about it. He's a, you know, a, a, a injured old man, you know, kind of thing, right? So it's a, we're going to shoot him in the head. Uh, the, this story basically pays off in the end with the discovery that, in fact, that's not Alexei. That is a life model decoy uh, made by Shields to look like him. Um, and so, you know, LMDs are a recurring, time-honored, ridiculous thing about S.H.I.E.L.D., and so we learn that probably Alexei is, in fact, for real dead, and that was just an LMD. However, in 2004, when uh, Bendis is writing Daredevil, we have an entire scheme in which uh, the U.S. government is supposedly going to trade Natasha back to, Bul- to Bulgaria where she committed a bunch of crimes back in her Russian spy days. And they want to get hold of her and prosecute her for these crimes and the assassinations that she did because Bulgaria is currently holding on to Madame Viper. And so if the U.S. government gives Natasha to the Bulgarians, the Bulgarians will give us Madame Viper and we can prosecute a whole bunch of Hydra crimes and stuff on her. And of course, the you know the Avengers are like, why would we give a superhero to Bulgaria to be executed or something? That's a you know terrible idea. We don't. We, that's the, Madame Hydra isn't worth it. Um, and so that all kind of like happens in the Daredevil run. And at the end of that story, we learn that Alexei is in fact actually still alive and was behind all of this, and is in fact been working with the you know elements of the Bulgarian government or something um, to basically get a shot at because now he hates Natasha, right? And he wants to kill her and he wants to embarrass her and he wants to do all of these other things because apparently he's become even more evil in, you know, than he was when the last time we actually saw him uh, and now has this kind of like personal grudge against Natasha that's not really very well explained. Uh, he has since shown up several more times uh, in various comics uh, of the you know 2010s and into the 2020s, when he is actually currently the guy currently wearing the Ronin costume uh, that several superheroes oh. and supervillains have used on and off, uh, particularly in Bendis stories. Um, Daredevil was Ronin for a bit. Hawkeye was Ronin for a bit. Several other people have like worn this costume of like being this you know kind of like ninja killer you know masterless samurai kind of character. Um, the current guy wearing the costume is in fact supposedly once again Alexei Shostakov. That has not been explained. We don't know why he's still alive. We have no reason to think he might. This one might not also be an LMD, whatever. But that's where that character sits right now. I think it's most likely that David Harbour will be playing mostly that, right? That's the most famous, well-known version of the Red Guardian. Um, that's kind of out there. That is the one he's named after. Uh, on the, as, right, exactly. Yeah, they're using that, that, that secret identity name or whatever for him, um, which, which makes it's sense. I probably like the best name of all of them. Like, the rest of them all kind of have lame yeah, names. Yeah. Like, normal <laughs> names. So I, I don't know how much of that story is going to go into David Harbour's story, but it is more interesting to have him. I mean, that's the one who is the most directly connected to Natasha, first of all, right? So I don't know whether he's going to... It seems from the stories that he's going to be more like 
Natasha's dad slash trainer kind of thing than he is actually her ex-husband. But we don't know until we actually see the movie. Uh, so anyway, going back to the 70s, the Red Guardian name is still really cool. The costume design is pretty cool. And we killed the last guy who was wearing it. So we need to have a new person wearing it. Uh, so Steve Gerber is the next guy to use to create a new Red Guardian in Defenders number 35 in May of 1976. This is during the absolute height of the looniness of the Steve Gerber run. We should, will absolutely at some point do an episode on Steve Gerber and some of like his best stuff that he did. But at this point, Dement Defenders is just the most demented psycho comic book superhero story going at the time, right? Um, and at this point, uh, Nighthawk has had his brain removed physically from his skull. Right, he's still he's still alive. It's complicated as to why he's still alive, and his brain was you know elsewhere for a while. Uh, it was briefly in a deer. Um, once again, don't ask me to try to explain it at that point. But right now, we have recovered both Nighthawk's body and his brain, and we need to put them back together. And this is beyond even Doctor Strange's ability to do. Right, this is just that my magic can't fix this, my surgical skill can't fix this. We need the world's greatest neurosurgeon to come help us put Nighthawk's brain back in his body. Well, it turns out the world's greatest brilliant neurosurgeon is in fact in Soviet Russia, is a woman named Tanya Belinsky. And Tanya Belinsky, this brilliant neurosurgeon, is also secretly a costumed vigilante, kind of the Moscow version of Batwoman. Uh, but Doctor Strange doesn't know this, right? He's only going for her secret identity, where she is, in fact, the world's most famous, you know, neurosurgeon. But in fact, she was her father was also a brilliant scientist uh, in Soviet Russia, and he was a dissident. He opposed, uh, you know, like the communist government there. He was very, uh, you know, kind of like politically active, and he got sent to Siberia, and when she was young, and this eventually motivated her to become both a brilliant neurosurgeon, but also to put on a costume and fight crime in Russia and also secretly help other dissidents fight against the government. And in order to do this, she adopted, she basically swiped the costume and name and costume design that the Russians were using for their own Captain America. And so the Russians are trying to catch her, right? Like the Moscow police and the KGB and everything are trying to pursue her because she's making fun of them, right? Not only is she stopping crimes and also messing with the Soviet government, uh, you know, and helping dissidents get away and that sort of thing, but she's wearing their own costume and, you know, like basically putting it in their faces, right? So Dr. Strange, not knowing any of this part of this, says, well, we need Tanya Belinsky to come help save Nighthawk and gets permission for her to come to America uh, to save his life. Which she does, but of course, over the course of that story, uh, she is also forced at several points to secretly turn into the Red Guardian and, you know, like fight some crime in New York as long as she's there. Uh, and by the end of all of this, uh, she has basically uh, decided, well, I'm not going back to Russia. I like it here in New York, and I'm just going to be a superhero here in New York, and I'm going to join the Defenders. Which she does. She saves Nighthawk's life, and then basically joins the team in New York. This lasts for a couple of years. Uh, she outlives Steve Gerber's run on the team, so she's still there when he leaves, and the next writer after him is uh, David Anthony Kraft, 
Uh, David Anthony Kraft literally just died a few days ago as of the recording of this, um, and it's uh, terribly sad because he was responsible for a great deal of fun uh, that Marvel did in the late 70s and early 80s. He died on May 20th, unfortunately, from COVID. Um, but when he takes over the story writing, he's kind of like, it seems unreasonable to me that the Russians would not have a problem with this woman hanging out in New York, right? Did she formally defect? Like, how is this? Uh, what's, what's the story here? Steve Gerber had completely given up caring at that point of like what was going on with this character. So Kraft kind of like gets in and explains more of her backstory uh, and then sends her back to Russia. She gets, you know, like actual Russian agents come not to like kidnap her, but literally to like present her with legal papers saying, you know, you are in fact a Soviet citizen, you know, who is a, a trying to defect and we're not letting you do it. Uh, so she goes back to Russia still as a regular member of the team, right? Like she's still getting her full story told as part of uh, Kraft's run on the Defenders. Um, it turns out that she is so brilliant and it was such a great superhero and a great brilliant neurosurgeon, et cetera, that she is the only woman that Sergei Krylov, the Soviet supervillain known as the Presence, could possibly choose for a wife. She is the ideal woman, as far as he's concerned, and he insists that she's going to marry him, and he's going to basically become God, and she will also become God as his wife. And so, over the course of an extended storyline fighting the Defenders, basically, uh, Krylov transforms himself into a being of pure nuclear energy, and transforms Tanya as well into a being of pure nuclear energy. Uh, she then finally like breaks her his mind control on her and turns against him and helps the uh, defenders defeat him. But now she is made of like pure nuclear energy and she's not really safe to be around, right? She's giving off radiation constantly. Uh, so she basically kind of like sadly has to go live in isolation in Siberia uh, to be, you know, kind of like called upon briefly when the Russians like need a really cosmically powerful superhero who's even their presence, like, you know, makes everybody around them sick. And that's basically the end of her storyline for a while. Uh, she changes her name to Starlight. Uh, she appears in several other Marvel Universe stories that take place in or involve Russia uh, in the 80s and 90s. Um, joins the Winter Guard when the Soviet super soldiers become the Winter Guard, basically, and then died in their limited series in 2010. It's really kind of a sad story. Uh, but yeah. for 35 years, she was wearing a, you know, she was either wearing the actual Red Guardian costume in mockery of the Red Guardian, or her Starlight costume kind of looked a lot like the Red Guardian costume, uh, even though she stopped using the name. That limited series is the winter, really good. The Winter Guard stuff? Yeah, the Winter Guard stories are great. Absolutely. Yeah. Ursa Major is... And they have uh, the Dire Wraiths and all kinds of stuff. We'll actually talk about them coming up in a bit. Uh, the right. next guy to wear the Red Guardian costume, obviously, now that, you know, once once she's not wearing it anymore, Russians try to reclaim it, basically, right? As, you know, this is, in fact, uh, the, the, the Russian Captain America. And they give it to a guy named Joseph Petkus. Uh, and Joseph Petkus first appears in Captain America number 352. And at that point, the Soviet super soldiers, the group, the, the, the quartet version of them, right, that was Ursa Major and Vanguard, and Darkstar, and, um, uh, no, Crimson well, Gremlin Dynamo, wearing the Crimson Dynamo costume, right? Oh, like, okay. it's it's the, the Gremlin right. who was Gargoyle's son, basically, right? They have temporarily defected, 
they got into trouble with the Soviet government and literally have defected to the United States to like hide, basically, in, in, in this run of Captain America stories. Um, and so the Soviets send a new superhero team of their own uh, to go get them back, to like beat them back and beat them up and bring them back to Russia. And they are called the Supreme Soviet. And the leader of the Supreme Soviet is this guy, Joseph Petkus, who is much more kind of like Captain America build, right? Like he's, you know, it, it's become clear that he has taken something like the super soldier serum because he is clearly not just ordinary strong, um, but he's, you know, like turn a car over strong. Um, and so in the course of this run of Captain America stories, the Supreme Soviet come and try to bring back the, you know, Soviet super soldiers, a whole bunch of like storyline goes on. Uh, and, uh, at the end of it, basically, the uh, Soviet super soldiers agree to go back to Russia. Basically, they have like kind of worked out a truce with uh, – they have uncovered some bad guys in the Russian government. Uh, and once those guys are removed, they are willing to come back and be the Russian superheroes again. So the next time we see all of those characters is in 1992 when Fabian Nicheza does a one-shot – uh, kind of, you know, uh, not a graphic novel, but it's a, you know, single oversized story uh, called The People's Protectorate, in which we learn about, like, this entire new combined Russian team that includes a bunch of guys from the Supreme Soviet and the people from the Soviet Super Soldiers and a couple of other new guys. Those te that, those team, including uh, that, that big team, including the Joseph Petkus version of Red Guardian, shows up every so often, once again, whenever pretty much we do a story that involves the Soviets or the Russians. Um, he changes his name at some point during this process from Red Guardian to Steel Guardian, mostly because he just thinks it sounds cooler. <laughs> right? Uh, and so he is in the Winter Guard limited series as well, uh, and he as Steel Guardian, because by that point somebody else is using the Red Guardian name, and he is killed by a dire wraith over the course of the Winter Guard stories. So, third, third Red Guardian is also dead at this point. The fourth guy we learn about uh, is in fact the first guy to wear the costume. In the Namor annual, uh, annual number one in June of 1991, we tell a story, Namor tells a story uh, of a flashback to World War II, where we find out that at one point during World War II, Namor and Captain America teamed up with the Russian Captain America to fight Nazis, with, with, with the Red Guardian, basically. And so this guy's name is Alexei Lebedev, uh, and he is kind of like established, basically, as the main Russian superhero during World War II. Uh, he appears in a bunch of other flashback stories, right? Obviously, he wasn't published at the time. He's a character from the 90s, but in any story, uh, you know, from the 90s on that includes the Russians in World War II, we see Lebedev, you know, with his Soviet shield, or with his, you know, Russian shield and everything in the star, uh, fighting alongside Captain America and, uh, you know, the other patriotic uh, superheroes. Um, we don't know the end of his story. We don't know when he died. We don't know when he stopped being Red Guardian or anything. There is a rumor, there's a story told by one of the other Red Guardians in which they say, we don't know what happened to him, but we think he got purged in the 50s. Right? And, and that's it, right? Like, we don't actually know what actually happened. Even the Russian characters don't know what really happened to him, but their version of it is, I think he got purged, right? Like, you know, Khrushchev or somebody had him killed cause for something, you know? Uh, and that's basically all we know about him. The fifth 
guy to be called Red Guardian, is the first guy to use it. At this point, Joseph Petkus is still using the Steel Guardian name uh, with the People's Protectorate. We meet another guy called Red Guardian um, in Maverick, the, the Maverick uh, series number 10. Uh, and in this story, we only meet this guy once. Uh, oh, actually, we meet him twice total. We, we only meet him as a hero once. Uh, he, uh, you know, teams up with Maverick in a, you know, storyline wearing the red, uh, the, 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 the Red Guardian costume. And it is very clear that he's, uh, supposed to be Robert Shaw, right? He is literally like, is drawn to look like Red Grant from The Spy Who Loves Me, right? <laughs> from James Bond, <laughs> right? And the story definitely has some references. They're very much trying to kind of like frame the story like Maverick is James Bond, Right. And that therefore, uh, you know, Red Guardian is, in fact, Red Grant. And in fact, when in the one panel where we actually learn Red Guardian's real name, his real name is Kranso, Krasno Granitsky, uh, which is the fake name that Red Grant uses in The Spy Who Loved Me, which means basically Red yeah. Grant in Russian. So He shows up just the one time for a Maverick story. He then appears in the first issue of the Ed Brobecker character in America, in which he is killed in about two panels. <laughs> right? He basically gets assassinated, uh, you know, in a story uh, completely unrelated to him. He shows up and gets punked and gets shot, and 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 he's gone. The uh, next guy to where we're now <laughs> up to uh, Red Guardian number six uh, first appears. His name is Anton. We don't know his last name. We've never actually had it revealed. Um, and he appears in the Hulk second volume number one. Uh, he's basically the next guy in the outfit in the Winter Guard when the, win the new version of the Winter Guard appears. And the Winter Guard at this point is made up of several guys who were in the Soviet Super Soldiers and the People's Protectorate and other teams. They've basically kind of, you know, like scooped the most interesting characters out of each of these teams. And there is, of course, has to be, if it's going to be a Russian version of the Avengers, there has to be a guy wearing the Red Guardian costume. Um, and it's this guy named Anton. Over the course of his stories uh, with the Winter Guard, we learn that he is not even really alive. His body was destroyed. He, was, he, he had his brain transferred from his living real body to an LMD version of himself that had been made more powerful. Right? He did this on purpose. Like He didn't need to have his brain transferred. He volunteered for this. Right? And so his real body is now gone, uh, and he is living in an LMD version of his body that is superhumanly strong and fast, etc. Hmm. In the course of the, uh, once again, the Winter Guard series, he gets his head cut off by a dire wraith. This doesn't kill him. His head continues to kick around in the, in, in the stories, like being helpful to people. In fact, his head is, you know, like put in a, you know, in a, in a carrying case. And Ultra Dynamo keeps consulting him for like advice on stuff because he's also kind of like the tactical leader of the of the Winter Guard. Um, and so his head is is uh, still out there in the Marvel Universe. It's still part of like the Russian superhero kind of like collect collective is the LMD head of this guy who uh, used to be the Red Guardian. If you watched Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., that's the version of Red Guardian that turned up in, in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And once again, mm -hmm. in the similar kind of plotline, dude also got his head cut off, and it also didn't kill him. 
<laughs> things things worked out differently in that, but basically that's the same character who had more or less the same fate happen uh, to himself on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. So the last guy, the guy currently wearing the Red Guardian costume, is the guy who was used to be known as Vanguard in the Soviet Super Soldiers. With Anton dead and now just being ahead, basically, um, Vanguard has given up the Vanguard costume, the Vanguard identity, and is wearing a Red Guardian costume and now has calls himself Red Guardian. Uh, Vanguard is a guy named Nikolai Krelenko, and he's been around since the 70s. Uh, the original Soviet super soldiers appeared back in an Iron Man story back in the 70s. He is a mutant. He and his sister are both mutants, and so they keep showing up occasionally in X-Men stories. Um, and his mutant power is basically to repel things, right? Like, he has, he's got, like, telekinesis, but it only works in one direction away from him. So he can, like, push things away. He can deflect things. If you try to shoot him, it's going to, like, bounce off because he's just going to push back against whatever you're shooting him with. Um, and he can fly by using his powers to basically move the Earth, right? Like, he uses his reflection powers to reflect the Earth and send himself flying into the air. Uh, so he can't, you know, he can't use telekinesis in any other direction. It's just away from him. Uh, but that makes him obviously the first like member of the, you know, of, of the red guardians, uh, to have a power other than just being a captain America style tough guy. So, um, he gets killed by the dire wraiths, uh, and gets resurrected in that same story. He gets brought back to life. It's a complicated story. Um, but Sergei Krylov, actually, for the, from the second Red Guardian story, turns up in that story as well and is kind of responsible for him coming back to life. It's comics. <laughs> so we'll see what, other, what of the other you know, like Red Guardian versions uh, winds up uh, you know, appearing in the MCU. Um, but I, like I said, I'm pretty sure it's going to be based mostly on the first one. So Yeah, I think that's the one that it probably resembles the most and has the most uh, right be pretty funny if he got his head cut off though <laughs> that would be i'd be highly entertained if david harper's head became part of the marvel universe uh, just, just still has a big beard too right exactly yeah have the have, have the beard and like the crazy expression on his face and just carry him around in a box asking him advice all right so some other characters uh or another character so we know we know of three other characters that are going to appear in the movie um, none of these three, well, one of them is a pretty important character, but we don't know, once again, what version of that character we're going to get. There's two other characters that we know are going to be in the movie who are very relatively minor characters in the Marvel Universe. Um, and we'll see, once again, exactly how like related they actually turn out to be. Rachel Weisz is playing a character named Melina Vostikov, and that's all we know about her. Uh, you know, we've seen a couple of the, she shows up in a couple of the previews and everything. But Melina Vostikov, is in the comics the real name of a character called Iron Maiden. And Iron Maiden uh, was a Black Widow bad guy. She first appears in Marvel Fanfare number 11 in July of 1983. And like uh, both Natasha and Yelena, she is yet another trained female Russian agent. The, uh, when she first appeared, the Red Room hadn't been you know, named yet, so we don't know if she's specifically a Red Room uh, operative or not um but unlike either of the black widows she's wearing like a, a you know kind of like a cut down iron man power suit right she's got an actual suit of armor that she wears uh you know and then kind of like uses her uh you know espionage training and everything inside but like what keeps her in fights and stuff she's clearly not a you know hand-to-hand -hand fighter 
anywhere close to either uh, Natasha or Yelena, but she's got basically, you know, this this suit of armor. Um, she appears in uh, Black Widow solo stories of, of Marvel fanfare and gets beaten by a combination of Black Widow and S.H.I.E.L.D. and uh, Jimmy Woo is actually in that story um, and is the guy who actually does the most to, to, to bring her in. Um, she doesn't appear for a while after that. The next time she shows up is in Captain America, where Captain America has, a, a, a late in Mark Gruenwald's run, Captain America is facing an entire all-woman team of bad guys, an all-woman villains team. Um, that you know, is up to various shenanigans. They're kind of replacing the Serpent Society at that point in the storyline um, because the Serpent Society had been, you know, pretty much torn up over previous stories. And he really liked the idea of having this kind of like background story of an organization of villains and how they kind of like work together and thought it would be cool to have one that was only women. And so the women collection, they're called the Femazons. And among the members of the Femazons is Iron Maiden. We don't really have an explanation as to why she's doing this. She doesn't seem to be working for Russia anymore. She seems to have gone solo as a criminal. Um, and she doesn't get a whole lot of story. Uh, she, you know, fights Captain America several times. Captain America basically beats her up pretty much every time that it happens. Um, and then she appears in the distant background of like a few other stories. Her last appearance that I am able to track down is that the Femazons as a group briefly appeared during Civil War. Um, for once again on page for on panel for like a page, uh, so she's not really terribly important to the MCU. She's kind of a forgotten villain. She hasn't really appeared anywhere, and not much of her backstory makes a lot of sense outside of her first appearance, right? So, uh, I would be surprised if the movie uses any of the Femazon stuff. Um, and they may just have been looking for the name of another character from the MC, you know, from Marvel Universe. Uh, to be part of Black Widow's backstory, especially if it's an older character. Um, and it seems that Rachel Weisz is playing a character who is older than uh, than Scarlett Johansson's version, uh, you know, the, the, than Black Widow. So, Yeah. Funnel, I can't remember if she's on the... Because funnily enough, they, during the... Um, during the Civil War initiative, the make a team of the uh, team for Delaware. And the only reason I remember this is uh, I'm, I, I live there. Um, is that uh, the women, oh, the, the 50, the 50 state initiative, right? Yeah. The women warriors are the team uh, for Delaware and it is all uh, cap snake themed uh, villains who are now heroes. Okay. No reason because of course the women warriors team from Delaware never got their own comic they never got to show up anywhere no, they, they, yeah they showed up like one panel uh no he's not it's right. diamondback quicksand asp black mamba and skeen right most most of whom were in the serpent society before that got blown up yes yeah, so right so the femazons the femazons kind of filled the story purpose of the serpent society right. after the serpent society stopped being a thing well, and then this serpent society kind of bit off their thing with having all women um yeah <laughs> <laughs> well yeah um I mean, the Serpent Society had like twenty members. There's only five of them on your on on your team. There's like there's a crapload more who were you know kicking around in that. They just took the five women out yeah, of it. Yeah. Well, so. they could only fit. Uh, you know, it's Delaware. I mean, it's only... Yeah. Right. Exactly. How much crime do we have to fight in Delaware? Yeah. Whatever. Uh, Avengers team in Delaware does a lot of sitting around, <laughs> stopping jaywalking. 
Um, <laughs> so uh, the next the next guy on my character. Oh, yeah, uh, who's that? This guy, this guy, once again, this may just be a name being used, um, but we have a character called Rick Mason, uh, who is known as the agent, uh, is kind of like the superhero nom de plume that he uses. And the agent first appeared in a Marvel graphic novel, Marvel graphic novel number 57, titled The Agent in December 1989. And it was uh, written by James Hudnall and with art by John Ridgway. It's a very good story, single story. It is basically about a secret agent who doesn't work directly for S.H.I.E.L.D., but kind of works alongside S.H.I.E.L.D. He's a covert operative whose shtick is that he's super good at gadgets. He's super good at, like, you know, small inventions and neat little kind of, like, tricksy things. And it is revealed over the course of the graphic novel that the reason he's so good at all of these things is because his dad is the tinkerer the old Spider-Man villain uh, and the Spider-Man villain, you know, who like created a bunch of uh, assorted get or, you know, uh, supplied a bunch of gadget based supervillains for Spider-Man to fight. So his son, this guy, Rick Mason basically became a secret agent using, you know, kind of like the skills uh, that he had learned at his father's side and becomes this kind of like operative. And he appears in one kind of like solo cool spy story. Beyond that, uh, since then, in the last 30 years, he has appeared in the background of several uh, stories. He's been in the supporting cast of a couple of characters. He is in a few of the uh, Carol Danvers Captain Marvel stories. In fact, she even kind of like briefly has a, you know, kind of a suggestion that they're going to have a romantic relationship, though it never really works out. Um, and he's also in Luke Cage's solo series. Uh, just as a you know, kind of like background character. As far as I am able to tell, I can't find any place where he's ever even met Black Widow. Right? I've never seen them in the same comic, uh, so I'm not sure. You know, I think once again the uh, the the movie is just decided to take like you know the name of an existing character and clearly make him into something different uh, for the MCU. Uh, but it's it's interesting that they chose this you know like relatively obscure. Uh, you know, character to appear and apparently be quite important in the movie, as far as we can tell. So, yeah. Uh, and the last character we're going to talk about uh, has shown up uh, quite a bit in uh, the marketing, uh, but they've also been, uh, you know, really good at uh, keeping anyone from figuring out who the hell it is. Uh, right. Under exactly. The so, and that is right. That is the Taskmaster. Taskmaster is a very popular bad guy in the Marvel universe. Um, and as you say, in the movie, they're being very cagey who it actually might be, right? There's a, you know, uh, they're, they're, they, they are not saying who the actor or actress is playing the character, um, which suggests that it's probably somebody else from the cast in disguise or something. The taskmaster of the MCU is a guy who may or may not be named Tony Masters. Uh, it has been suggested that that's a, you know, bullshit made up name, uh, or maybe it's his real name. We're not, we're not sure. Um, and he first appears in Avengers number 195 back in May of 1980, created by David Michelinie. Uh, and uh, he is a former S.H.I.E.L.D. agent, though we don't know that early in his story. That's eventually, that's revealed later, um, who has the superpower sort of, uh, of what he calls photographic reflexes. And basically what that means is if he sees something performed, a, a, a feat, an action 
performed by somebody else, he immediately learns how to do it and can copy it. Which means that he has spent a lot of time studying the fighting styles and neato, you know, tricks and skills of every kind of like non-powered character in the Marvel Universe and is just as good at doing those things as each of them is, right? He's just as good at throwing a shield as Captain America. He's just as good at shooting a bow and arrow as Hawkeye. He's just as good at karate as Iron Fist. He's just as good at whatever, at throwing a billy club and swinging around the city as Daredevil, et cetera, et cetera. You know, like any, anything like that, he can do, he can duplicate it just by watching it happen. It's kind of a fascinating idea for a superpower. When he first shows up, he is we kind of like learn the other shtick of his, which is that he is in this for the money. He's a mercenary. He is not particularly villainous. He doesn't really care one way or the other about, you know, human life or anything like that. He just wants to get paid. That's the only thing that truly matters to him. Um, and so the first time we see him, he has set up a training school for bad guys in which he is like supplying henchmen and agents and everything to criminal agencies and, you know, more serious villains like AIM or Hydra or whatever. You know, he's the guy who like trains their agents in how to use their stuff. Um, and in that story, he fights the Avengers and Scott Lang, who happened to be hanging out with the Avengers at that particular time. Um, and he appears with Scott Lang a lot because David McElhinney also created Scott Lang and thinks he's funny. So, like, any version, any time Michelinie wrote a story, he would try to include both of them in it because they were basically his two favorite characters that he ever made. Mm. Um, and so he fights the Avengers basically to a standstill, right? Like, he's got a shield, and he's got a sword, and he's got a bow and arrow and everything. And with all of those skills, he basically fights, you know, Captain America and Hawkeye directly and is just, you know, matches them. The one he loses against is Jocasta, the robot, because he's never seen any footage of her before. When she shows up in the fight, he's literally never seen her before and therefore can't predict what she's going to do or duplicate any of her stuff, and she winds up being the one who beats him. The next time we see him, uh, he's working, he's, he's created a carnival as kind of like the uh, the cover story for, you know, his like training institution. And it turns out that Hawkeye and uh, Scott Lang both like show up at the carnival and wind up beating him up again. Uh, and then from then on, he is now kind of like regularly part of the villain background stories of the, you know, the Marvel Universe. He was very popular as a trainer and as a mercenary. Right. He when um, John Walker becomes Captain America and they give him the Captain America identity to go back to fucking the Winter Soldier and our episodes about that. Um, they need somebody to teach John Walker how to use the shield. It turns out Taskmaster's in jail at the time and they say Taskmaster will reduce your sentence if you teach John Walker how Captain America uses his shield. And John Walker is very concerned. He's like, well, what? he's a bad guy. What if this bad guy teaches me wrong, right? And then I go out into combat and some other supervillain kills me because this guy, you know, screwed up my training on purpose. But of course, it turns out that Taskmaster is totally far too honorable for that. And if you pay him enough, he'll teach you the right way to become Captain America. And so he trains John Walker to get really good with the shield by showing him step by step how, you know, Captain America does it. Um... As a mercenary, he uh, very quickly kind of became part of Deadpool's recurring cast and the whole kind of like story of mercenaries in the DC universe, uh, the Marvel universe. Um, we have seen several stories in which it becomes clear 
that like whoever has hired him is not going to finish paying him right he got like half up front but then it seems like the superheroes are beating up the 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 bad guy and he's not sure that he's ever going to get the second half of his money so he just quits <laughs> and walks away he has he has like no interest in being in a fight unless he's getting paid he has no interest in doing any criminal activities unless he's getting paid. And if his pay does not, you know, uh, somebody tries to get him to do something that isn't in the contract that he signs up for, he's like, no way, I'm just not doing it. I quit. I'm out of here, you know, which is kind of a hilarious recurring bit. And it always seems to work and it has made the character extremely popular. Yeah, He's one of my favorite villains uh, Absolutely. Like, that they've ever made. Since Scott Lang has kind of like been set aside as a character because the, the he and Scott Lang were kind of, you know, a, an even rivalry uh, during their stories. Since Scott Lang isn't really available for them to use anymore, he has instead now kind of like worked up this relationship with Eric O'Grady, who is the next guy to be Ant-Man. And it, the two of them basically have become now mercenary partners. And they have kind of like a hilarious relationship where they're, you know, they tell each other jokes and everything mm -hmm. while they are committing these like various mercenary crimes. Uh, we have also established a relatively recently new thing about him. He got his own limited series for a bit. And we learned in that story that uh, every time he learns a new person's set of skills, every time he studies somebody, he loses a set of memories. Right. right? His brain is only so like capable of taking in new information. And so at this point, he has learned so many, you know, costumed people's styles and that sort of thing that he no longer remembers his own childhood. He's not sure what his real name is. He doesn't know where he grew up. And he's periodically, you know, like losing other, uh, other memories as well. And he basically has paid an entire criminal agency uh, to manage his career and his money for him because he's afraid he's going to lose like the memory of his bank account and that sort of thing, which kind of like makes him this, you know, almost even more like sad, tragic figure, you know, on, on top of this. The story, yeah, I mean, that, uh, that series goes into how he got his powers and the sort of setup of it. It's actually like ludicrously sad for being a task. It's very sad. Yeah. yeah. Right. For a character who's been kind of like established as just being this kind of like comic relief bad guy. He's a, it's a very sad and kind of powerful story. Yeah, it's really good. I wish it had. Uh, I wish it had sold better. It deserves yeah. to sell better. So once again, we don't know. It, it seems possible that like you know somebody will be the taskmaster in disguise, uh, or the taskmaster will be revealed to be somebody else from the MCU that we don't know about yet, who is going to guest appear in the movie or something. Uh, you know, we're not entirely sure what is going on with the character. They're being very kind of like intentionally mysterious about it. Yeah. But I'm delighted. And uh, Taskmaster is one of the you know guys I was missing the most in the MCU, right? Like it's you know, this is this is a character who needed to show up you know post haste a long time ago. It seems like the money on it being Rachel Vice from what I've been reading, but I'm kind of hoping that that's like a you know a, a red herring, yeah, um, and that's someone else because I can't see them getting her back for like smaller. Right, exactly. You'd like to see Taskmaster stay in the stay in yeah. the movies. Might, might be the Rick Mason guy. It could be uh, since he's such a nothing of a character. He's a, a you know couple issue character, right? We don't know yet. We'll let you know, I guess. You know, spoilers when the movie actually comes out. You'll everybody, I guess, will figure this out. Yeah. So we got uh, about a you know by the time you're listening to this, we'll probably be uh, two weeks. We'll be able to tell you. Right. Yeah. Well, our next episode, next time we record, will be I guess right after the movie comes out. So we'll let everybody know our opinions uh, in the in in the last part of the series. Yeah, we'll have months more knowledge. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I'm at that point. Well, thanks so much for listening. I've been Steve Tasker. 
And I'm Darren Watts. Have a good night. Thanks. Bye.